What is the structure chemistry of the living organism and its temperature and pressure? A review by John Halliwell from University of Manchester, Manchester, England. Acta Crystallographica, 2020. The three probes of the structure of matter, X-ray, neutrons and electrons, in biology have complementary properties and strengths. The balance between these three probes within the strength and weaknesses is perceived to change even dramatically so at times. For the study of combined states of order and disorder, NMR crystallography is also applicable. Of course, to understand biological systems the required perspectives are surely physiologically relevant temperatures and relevant chemical conditions, as well as a minimal perturbation owing to the needs of the probe itself. These remain very tough challenges because, for example, cryo-EM, by its very nature, will never be performed at room temperature. Crystallization often requires non-physiological chemical conditions and X-rays and electrons cause beam damage. However, integrated structural biology techniques and functional assays provide a package towards physiological relevance of any given study. Reporting of protein crystal structures and their associated database entries could usefully indicate how close to the biological situation they are, as discussed in detail in this feature article. Introduction Crystallography is a key player in structural biology today, as are the microscopies and spectroscopies. The latter two areas include cryomicroscopy, cryo-EM, and nuclear magnetic resonance, NMR spectroscopy. Cryo-EM, in particular in recent years, has allowed studies at atomic resolution on large complexes they will not crystallize. Perceptual dramatic changes in the field of structural biology have centered on the wonderful change in capabilities given by, for example, femtosecond time slice X-ray lasers and anti-blurring compensations in cryo-EM for improved resolution images of the non-crystallized sample state. The major improvements in capabilities for the experimental determination of protonation states using neutron crystallography and the use of fully tunable synchrotron radiation for optimized anomalous dispersion applications, even on a microcrystal. For the study of combined states of order and disorder, NMR crystallography has arrived. It is the overriding concept of the ISDBS conferences, an inspirational idea of Japanese colleagues to bring the various measurements probes of structural biology with their complementarities and results from their use together. A further concept of the ISDSPE conferences is to bridge academic research and industrial research and applications. Because our results offer important new opportunities for the treatment of diseases, 
the conference website adds further detail to this conference series concept. Some history. A thorny issue, especially in the 1970s, was the relevance of the protein crystalline state to the solution state of a protein inside the biological cell. NMR provided atomically detailed result in solution, and of course, protein crystallography provided atomic details for a protein in the solid state. A recall Professor R.J.P. Williams at an Oxford University Laboratory of Molecular Biophysics seminar explaining to us that the core aromatic side chains in a protein studied by NMR spectroscopy must be flipping on the NMR time scale, whereas a crystal structure of the same protein appeared to show static side chains, and presumably, therefore, that they were too tightly packed by the crystal to move. This was obvious when one considers that in myoglobin, for example, there's no way for the oxygen to get to the heme based on the crystal structure without some structural movements. In fact, a protein crystal solid state is a liquid state anyway by which I mean that the solving content is very significant and can vary from about 35% up to even 80%. Studies of the structure and function of an enzyme in the crystalline state were to my mind greatly facilitated by the invention of the flow cell. An example executing this to excellent effect was in the crystallographic studies of glycogen phosphorylase. David Blow was a pioneer in enzyme crystallography and his late career overview So, do we understand how enzymes work? He lamented that a prediction of the reaction rate of an enzyme was still not possible. In effect, defining it as one of today's continuing grand challenges for science. This seems to be a harsh assessment by David Blow, in my view, in that qualitatively one can now see directly. For example, the large substrate enzymes are much slower than small substrate enzymes. Furthermore, the reaction rate of an enzyme can be deliberately slowed down or even stopped by working with a design mutant of the enzyme. Guided by its 3D structure, again illustrating that, if not exactly a prediction of a specific reaction rate, this is a deliberate and successful alteration of the enzyme reaction rate based on crystallographic studies. Overall, then, crystallography has provided a powerful approach to this issue of the relevance of the crystalline state, resulting in a resounding yes that these results are relevant to function. This important field has been reviewed by Moffat. These results, amongst others, thus overcame the objections 
of the NMR solution state spectroscopies to the crystallographer's result in the crystalline state. Weaknesses in the amount of crystallography remain, such as crystallization conditions, which to a greater or lesser degree take one's results away from biological functioning conditions. Since those competitive times in studies of protein structure, crystallography and NMR have worked in tandem to great effect in understanding structure and dynamics. For example, Fenwick and others studied the enzyme dehydrofolate reductase using room temperature X-ray crystallography and NMR. This study showed agreement between protein backbone and side chain of the parameters derived from NMR relaxation experiments in those calculated from room temperature single conformer and multi-conformer models. These results confirmed that the picoseconds timescale motions observed in solution were also present in the crystalline state and that quenching took place at cryogenic temperatures. A very recent example of the combined use of NMR and crystallography is reported by Jaganathan and others. Their study of flexibility by NMR is seen as offering new drug discovery routes in pharmaceutical, health and disease research. As protein crystallography has delivered even more 3D structures, getting closer to complexity has proven a new challenge of focus. The accomplishments of virus crystallography and the crystal structure studies of the ribosome are testimony to the large steps forward to complexity yielding atomically detailed models and these molecular machines. The ribosome studies in particular required the perfecting of cooling conditions for the crystal so to yield adequate amounts of X-ray diffraction data on the intense synchrotron beam lines needed to measure these data in a walkable period of time. A theme has steadily emerged in structural biology in the last 20 years, where there is a question about the strict relevance to biology of crystallographic results that are now predominantly based on X-ray diffraction data measured at cryo temperatures. This has been compounded by observations of specific X-ray damage to the crystallized protein. Conducting crystallography at physiological temperatures has then become an objective, but what about radiation damage being much greater at room temperature? Neutral macromolecular crystallography NMX, whilst pursuing protein structures with experimentally determined protonation states, has also automatically yielded room temperature structures. Given also that projects succeed in obtaining neutron beam time only when all other methods, X-ray, electron and NMR based, have failed, it is clear that in structural biology there is an improved strategic importance of NMX methods. Indeed, NMX has seen a sustained growth in the number of scope of instruments and of the software methods employed at neutron sources. 
Furthermore, the new X-ray lasers yield X-ray diffraction data at room temperature. And before radiation damage can kick in, they diffract before the sample is destroyed approach. Synchrotron facilities are now also adopting the X-ray laser method of serial femtosecond crystallography for the delivery of streams in micrometer-sized samples and thereby are also yielding results at physiological temperatures, albeit not free of radiation damage as at X-ray lasers. An amazing accomplishment, to my mind, is the room temperature crystal structure of the 30S ribosome using the Stanford Linux coherent light source. However, the use of streams of micrometer-sized crystals raised the question of variations in the samples of the biological molecules. Finally, we must ask precisely what does the term physiological conditions mean? The book by D.A. Warthorn, Life at the Limits, Organisms in Extreme Environments, describes examples of life at extremes of temperature such as thermophilic and hyperthermophilic bacteria, as well as at extremes of pressure at the ocean floor, such as piezophiles, at extremes of pH, at extremes of salt concentration and at extremes of cold. The most unusual example of life at extreme temperatures that I have heard about are the targalites, which are able apparently to survive in extreme environments that would kill almost any other animal. Extremes of temperature at which targalites can survive for example, can recover from include a few minutes at 115 degrees Celsius, 30 years at minus 20 degrees Celsius, a few days at minus 200 degrees Celsius, or a few minutes at minus 272 degrees Celsius. In terms of chemical conditions, an interesting case is heavy water, which can kill animals owing its toxicity compared with regular water, presumably owing to the kinetic isotope effect, while algae can live in heavy water at a practical growth rate. Indeed, isotopically enriched proteins can be prepared in this way using algae and then physical and chemistry experiments, such as are routinely used today in nutrient protein crystallography of fully deuterated proteins. These structures of biological macromolecules in each of these categories show the structural and biochemical adaptations of life that are possible. There is then a variation range of known physiological conditions. In the laboratory we can explore extremes of any one of the biological structures, be it widening for example the temperature range or the pressure range beyond physiological. Ultimately, any structure that is to be of worth, for example, to be more than an entry in an atlas of structures, has to have predictive value with respect to a biological function 
or in altering their function, as in my comments on David Ball's Lament Above. Basics about our three diffraction probes, X-ray, neutrons and electrons. X-rays are scattered by the electron charge cloud of an atom, for example, in proportion to the atomic number of an atom. H atoms offer the weakest scattering and uranium the strongest. Electrons are scattered by the electrostatic potential surface of the atom's electrons and nuclear charges. Neutrons are scattered by the nucleus and approximately independently of atomic number, with interesting exceptions such as hydrogen and deuterium, which scatter negatively and positively respectively. Deuterium scatters neutrons with a strength basically the same as those of carbon, nitrogen and oxygen. Neutrons are also non-destructive. For example, there's no radiation damage. Electron scattering is the strongest and requires the smallest samples. Neutrons are the most weakly scattered and require the largest samples. These are the important core details in use of X-ray electrons and neutrons for structural biology. Indeed, we can ask, is there an ideal probe in structural biology? For protein and nucleic acid crystallography, neutrons are in principle the ideal scattering probe compared with X-ray or electrons as they are free of causing radiation damage. The practical problem for neutrons is that such sources have a weak flux and first of all solving this structure requires X-rays. The full structure elucidation comes then from combined X-ray and neutron studies. If a crystal cannot be grown, then the electrons cryo-EM can be used, but to circumvent being damaged cryotemperatures have thus far proved to be essential. Electrons are sensitive to hydrogens, which is an advantage over X-ray. Non-physiological crystallization, pH, high salt. Our structural biology scientific literature has remarked on worries about non-physiologically relevant crystallization conditions. Examples include the following. 1. Cyanomet human hemoglobin crystallized under physiological conditions exhibits the Y quaternary structure and the final remark in the world paper is the opinion that however our results suggest a review of structure function correlations in the hemoglobin system in caution that meaningful structure function correlations in other systems may require more comparable conditions for crystallographic and functional studies. Yibin Lin article What's happened over the last five years with high throughput protein crystallization screening? Offered the view that Scientists frequently select a protein that is suitable for crystallization, but far from the physiological condition.
Determinations of structure were the variation seen impinged on understanding biological function. Examples were metal-driven variations in the determined structure that impinge on understanding biological function also include, besides the crystallization condition used, the use of cryotemperature versus room temperature. There are a growing number of studies comparing cryotemperature versus room temperature crystal structures. An early example was a study on the structure of concavalin A and its bound solvent determined with small molecular accuracy at 0.94 Armstrong resolution by Deacon and others. This cryotemperature X-ray crystal structure was compared with the room temperature structure determined by Emmerich and others at 1.6 Armstrong resolution. Both were synchrotron X-ray crystal structure and belonged to the same crystallographic space group, for example crystal packing. The concavalin A structures compared at the two temperatures showed movements in some amino acid side chains and in some of the common bound waters. This was not the case in the saccharide binding site. These cryotemperature to room temperature crystal structure comparisons are all described in section 3.9 of Deacon and others both at and away from the saccharide ligand binding site. The ligand binding can be determined by bound water networks, was the conclusion of Derby and others. They expected thermodynamic data collected at room temperature to be more interpretable by structured data collected at room temperature rather than those collected at cryogenic temperature. However, our room temperature structures expose another complications by revealing otherwise hidden alternative states of the mutated side chain. Water positions and occupancies co-varied with these alternative states. Basically, cryotemperature tipped the amino acid side chain into a single energy minimum. Another recent example involving a multi-subunit complex is the study of Young and others that compared synchrotron cryotemperature and X-ray laser room temperature crystal structures of Photosystem 2 PS2, in which they saw that the PS2 helices had rearranged. These changes were much larger than the Cohn-Cavalin A example above. Importantly, the structural layout of PS2 oxygen involving complex OECE was, however, not affected by the cryotemperature. Overall, these sorts of effects create anxiety of cryo artifacts. So, are the cryo based crystallographic and cryo EM structures that we have carefully determined and validated? achieved in our databases and published at the existential crisis. Fraser and others have argued that there is a bias in structured databases towards smaller, overpacked and unrealistically unique models
because the analysis suggests that in early universal practice of crystallography shifts the intrinsic populations of conformance. However, cryo-EM has taken the structure biology fight forward, yielding atomic resolution structures and complexes that are too flexible to crystallize essentially. Without cryo-EM, we would have no such structures. In a similar vein, crystallography has allowed the exploitation of high lens third-generation cyclotron radiation X-ray sources, otherwise room temperature. So, many more biological crystal structures have been determined and of larger molecular weights as a result of the exploitation of high brilliance third-generation cyclotory radiation sources in macromolecular crystallography. In any case, in many situations accompanying a new structure to be from crystallography or cryo-EM, there is collaborating research such as saying function at room temperature. And this is an obligatory requirement for publishing such a study. As an example, in unreliving the structure chemistry of the colorating mechanism of lobster crystocyanin, the methods of biochemistry and biological crystallography with UV spectroscopy and liquid solution X-ray scattering at room temperature, as well as electron microscopy, were applied to study the molecular basis of the colorating in lobster shell. In this study, in a nutshell, the crystals and solutions of crustacinin studied at room and the cryotemperature remained blue in color. A further remark to conclude this section is to mention that crystals grown in vivo, although very tiny, can now yield room temperature crystal structures through the use of X-ray laser synchrotron beams. A survey has been made of this topic by Dusensko and others. Extremes of pressure and impact on protein crystal structure. There has been a growing in protein crystallography studies at high pressure. These nicely document changes under this particular extreme. There are piezophiles organisms that survive on the ocean floor, but these are still exposed to relatively modest pressures compared with those that can be studied with protein crystallography. A strict definition of a piezophile is an organism whose growth rate is maximal at higher pressure. The current record for the highest hydrostatic pressure at which growth has been observed is 130 MPa by the Archeon Thermococcus piezophilus. Crystallographic laboratories that have been active in this field include those led by Roger Firm, Sol Gruner and Nobuhisa Watanabe. Some examples of their research results in this area are described below as illustrations of what can be learned from high-pressure protein crystallography. The Fulmer laboratory studied the adaptation of the base pair double helix to extreme hydrostatic pressure. 
For complete diffraction data sets at high resolution were recorded at ambient temperature 1.55, 1.04 and 1.39 gigapascal and the crystal structures were fully refined. They found that the average base pair step varied from 2.92 to 2.63 Armstrong, but the transversal compressibility was negligible. The molecule reacted under high pressure basically as a molecular spring, but during compression, the geometry of the Watson Creek base pairs, which carry the genetic information, was preserved. They remark on the importance of the results as follows. Accordingly, the double helix topology is remarkably adapted to high pressure and the adaptation of such architectures to harsh conditions may have played an important role at the prebiotic stage and in the first steps on the emergence of life. Science such high pressures do not exist in nature, one assumes that the harsh conditions refers to the chemical conditions on the prebiotic time. The Grunel laboratory probed substances in his sperm, whale myoglobin using high pressure crystallography. There are replacements in the F-helix, ABL loop and CDL loop regions. This study also made structure-to-structure -structure comparison not only between pressures but also between room temperature and cryo temperature and by varying the pH. This was under high pressure at room temperature that the F-helix slid along an axis and moved towards the E-helix. The Watanabe laboratory used high pressure protein crystallography and thereby explained by one of the active side residues of lysozyme. Glow 34 has a high pKa value. They found different conformations at the repressures at 0.1 and 950 megapascal. Glow 35 showed quite different side chain conformations, while at 890 megapascal a split between the two conformations was observed. Based on the crystal structures, they then used two different protonation predictions algorithms, which estimate the pKa value of GLU35 in each conformation as 6.4 and 4.5, which was important for its role as a general acid catalyst. An evaluation review of the production of ionizable amino acid protonation states in proteins by three different software packages with crystallographic experiments, X-ray and neutron studies, and NMR protonation titration studies is available. They showed that the average likelihood of a correct protonation predict phlogrotomachy acid was 63%. Finally, as Kidi has correctly argued, I think that by combining different perturbations such as temperature, pressure, pH, etc., families of models map how different parts of a structure collectively respond to stimuli, or indeed better reflect the likely physiological situation.
Conclusions In summary, the physical methods of crystallography, microscopy and spectroscopy continue to strive for and clearly deliver biologically relevant results. From these studies, the prediction of aspects of biological function from atomic structures is possible and is also physiologically relevant. Future directions will surely see an increase in the diversity of structures and the variety of measurement conditions deposited in the protein data bank PDB. The PDB guides users of any given deposition by its slider diagram of the quality of a structure. This is dominated by the diffraction resolution as an example for crystallography which overall determines each subsidiary metric in the PDB slider diagram. Clearly, I advocate in this feature article that an additional overreaching metric of physiological relevance be adopted in the PDB for any given deposition, for example, room temperature is better than cryotemperature crystallization conditions closer to rather than further from in vivo are preferred. The structure determined incorporated using functional assays, etc. That said, X-ray laser and neutron crystal structures deliver physiological temperature results, free of radiation damage, as a matter of course. Synchrotron beam lines are also offering the room temperature serial femtosecond crystallography option such as at max 4. Basically, these days we can have structural biology at standard temperature and pressure and under as close to physiological condition as possible. As well as the above rather general remarks, there are then the following specific questions. 1. Are the general observations raised here with regard to cryocooling actually significant for most structures? Whilst the many cases of radiation damage have been demonstrated, including metal oxidation or reduction, disulfide bond breakage and deamination, they are not all or necessarily biologically significant. HAL, however, does document functionally significant situations affected by cryotemperature. 2. More recent advances using quantum mechanics based refinements rather than the current common simple spherical density based models may well allow some of the non physiological experiment limitations to be overcome. The quantum mechanics based approach may provide the ability to change the conditions of an experiment afterwards if the theoretical calculations are sufficiently accurate and if the computer power is good enough, even for very large complexes, such as those now recently studied by CryoEM. 3. While we know the temperature optimum for most organisms, the interior of a cell is not a diluted solution and is not uniform. How can we quantify this sort of natural variation, for example, as distinct from the variations in our results from our various investigative methods? 
4. In practical terms, the freezing of a single particle for a cryo-EM is not the same outcome necessarily as the arising from cooling a 1 micrometer crystal for a serial femtosecond crystallography X-ray laser experiment or a, say, 15 micrometer crystal for a third generation synchrotron radiation macromolecular crystallography experiment. If the new generation of X-ray lasers do realize the single protein molecule structure at room temperature, and this objective is still in fact on the roadmaps of these X-ray facilities, then the comparison evaluations of structures determined by cryo-EM and at room temperature using such new X-ray lasers would come much closer. Thank you for listening. See you in the next article.